0: Hello, and welcome to Stuff Mom I Forgot to Tell You. I'm Monica Francois-Marcel, a Gen X founder, entrepreneur, and baseball mom based in Chicago. And I believe that if we're very lucky and work very hard, life will be long and it will be messy. So to help us with the mess and provide tips for longevity and joy on what lies ahead, each episode, I'm borrowing either the mother of a friend or a trusted mentor that I greatly admire. This is a diverse group of women who've been there and done that, and you are going to love their stories. My own mom isn't here anymore, so the stuff these women share is precious to me, and their cross-generational pearls of wisdom are just what we all need. I'm so excited for you to join us, so let's jump in. This is going to be a conversation between myself and the very accomplished and uh, been-around-the-world Miss Peggy McClure. Peggy, welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm really excited to get to meet you and interview you. So the first thing, you know, I want to talk a little bit about is kind of why I'm doing this project, and it will give you some context for these questions. And I know that you've got a little bit of background in all of this, but... uh, I now am 53 years old. And one of the things that I'm thinking about as I think about my next several uh, decades, you know, I hope I have a lot ahead of me, is that a lot of women my age, my friends and I sit around and talk about how, you know, our parents did a great job in prepping us to get this far, right? I mean, I've got a great family, I've got a wonderful child, I've had a really great career. And now that I myself and a lot of my friends are kind of thinking about, well, what's next, right? And we know now with great science and and kind of self-care that a lot of us are likely to live a really long time, it's kind of like, what do we do with the next half of our lives? And so we love talking to people that have done just some amazing things. And Peggy, you fit right into that category. You know, although you and I are meeting, I've had a chance to work with and get to know at least one of your amazing family members. And uh, it's just my honor to have you here today. So the first question, we're going to ease through this, right? We want this to be a conversation, Peggy, and and get your own um, kind of thoughts on things and feel free to interrupt me along the way. But the first question is kind of an easier one. So if we think about your own mom and your own family when you were growing up, I would love to know a little bit, Peggy, about what are some of the things that you think that they taught you or that your family instilled in you? And what do you think your mom wanted for you when you were growing up?
1: Interestingly, she was very clear that her three daughters, uh, her goal for them was to become uh, wives and mothers. (laughs) She had uh, four children, three girls, and then a boy. And the three of us, uh, the girls, it did not get middle names because obviously we were going to get married and take on a married name, so McClure would be our middle name. So she was, that was very clear for her. So um it, I kind of, of the three of us, especially of the four children, I probably went Further, the furthest afield from what she had in mind for me. Um, But I always felt love and support from her. Um, So even though I I went a very different direction in many ways than she had anticipated, uh, she was incredibly supportive. One of the things I appreciated about my mother was, in a way, she was um, courageous and adventurous in the sense that she grew up in Indiana in the Midwest. And uh, met my father just before he was sent over to Europe and ended up being in prison camp in, in Germany. But they got married before he left. And, and when he came back, she moved to California. So she was totally uh, going away from everything she knew in the Midwest. Um, so she was she was also a very optimistic, positive person. And those are attributes that I really appreciate about my mom.
0: So she was modeling for you, whether she knew it or not, right? What resilience looked like and and how to uh, make a plan and execute on that. Exactly. Wow. So what do you think, uh, I don't know if she had a chance to tell you or or hopefully she had a chance to share with you, but what do you think that she might be most proud of, Peggy, in terms of how you've turned out? Because you've turned out pretty great. So what do you think that she enjoys looking back on or, or enjoy looking back on in terms of what you accomplished and who you turned out to be?
1: Well, I think one of the things actually was I I was uh, divorced when Lisa was four and and my son, Eric, was two. And um, so I was a single parent for a long, long time. And she worried about that a lot. And um, when she was terminally ill, uh, we were living in Alaska. And when she was terminally ill, we came down to visit and one of the things I could do was reassure her that we really were okay. And she knew that. And it was just kind of a, an appreciation that she had that I really could do fine without a husband and that the children were fine and very happy and, and growing up well. Um, the other thing I think that, that she actually appreciated, even though she worried about it, was me going off to Togo in the early 70s, right after college. And she actually was remarried and everybody my uh, stepdad's kids and all the rest of the other three all were there at the wedding but i wasn't because i was over in in Peace Corps in West Africa. So she talked to my stepdad and said, you know, I'd really like to go visit Peggy. So she, my older sister and my younger sister, the three of them came and visited me in Togo. So then she saw what that was like. And and it turned out she was really proud of what, what I had done of me doing that, even though she was very nervous about it. And she was also really worried I was going to somehow marry a person in Africa and then end up staying in Africa. And she really wanted me closer to home.
0: So that's your mom. So I was going to ask you what it is that you're most proud of. And oftentimes I hear people say they're kids, which is great. And and I, I would, I'm i proud of Lisa too. So I love, and it sounds like your son is amazing too. But aside from them, right? What else would you say that when you look back, what are some of the things that you're really proud that you were able to do?
1: I think that what I'm most proud of is my ability to adjust to what happens in my life. And, you know, some things, the decisions that have happened or, or the marriage that didn't work out uh, is, is saying, OK, well, then now what's next? And moving forward and, and making decisions as you go. In, in fact, when I was country director for Peace Corps, one of the pieces of advice I would give to volunteers was to say, all you're doing now is making a decision for the next step in your life. You're not deciding the rest of your life. And I said, I can look back and say, there's a tapestry and there's a pattern, but I couldn't have anticipated that pattern going forward. So I'm most proud of the fact that I could adjust and make decisions. And then at this point, look back and say, there's a pattern there. There's wonderful, wonderful opportunities. Another thing I really loved, an example of that is, after finishing Peace Corps in Togo, another woman and I decided we wanted to travel across Africa. And we talked to another woman who thought she might stay for a third year, and then she decided not to, and she ended up joining us. But we spent five months basically hitchhiking across the continent of Africa from Togo to East Africa. So it's, it's sort of taking those opportunities and figuring, okay, I have no commitment specifically after Peace Corps, Now's the time to do this kind of a travel. And so we just had a great time. And the three of the three women, I mean, the third one joined us in um, Nigeria. So two of us went to um, Upper Volta at the time, Burkina Faso, Niger, and down through Nigeria. And then we met the third one in Nigeria and then went on to Cameroon, Central African Republic, Zaire, Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania. Now, that was your early 20s, right? This was right after Peace Corps. So I was in my early twenties, yeah. So I was twenty-three, twenty-four, and that was the early seventies. I wouldn't advise somebody doing it now. There are just too many. The Boko Haram is in the part of Nigeria that we traveled through, and so forth. And um, but it, and of course, my mother would never have <laughs> wanted me to do it then. But there you go.
0: And then I will admit that I was kind of stalking you a little bit on LinkedIn yesterday and and reading a little bit more about your background. And so when you got back from that, you had quite a career. You know, we'll get back to Peace Corps in a minute. We're going to bookend with Peace Corps because you and I have some things in common there and and you've done some things that are aspirational for me. So I want to pick up on that. You had a pretty impressive career. And so when you look back on it, was it kind of automatic, Peggy? Were there any kind of pivotal moments or, or decisions that were harder? If you think about kind of just advice giving to people that are trying to make sure they have a, a good, solid, strong, you know, career and a career not just being a couple years. Right. But a really a real body of work to look back on. What were some of the decisions you made along the way to really enable that?
1: I had been in health education and Peace Corps and I decided I wanted to do something in healthcare. I actually looked into nursing. I thought maybe nursing uh, would be the way to go. And I realized, well, at the time, the programs I was looking at, I was living in Ohio, because that's where I met my husband, and he was going to, he was recruiting for Peace Corps, and then he was going into law school. So I was looking at programs at Ohio State where he was going to be going to law school. And it would have, the nursing school at Ohio State would have required me to do four more years. I already had a bachelor's degree. So then I found a master's in preventive medicine in the College of Medicine, which is effectively an MPH type degree, a master's in public health. And I loved it because it built on what I knew about. Healthcare, and uh, because um, healthcare is not just about individual caring and curing and so forth, it's really about populations and what's ha- what affects a population's health. And uh, Peace Corps was really good at, at, at making me understand that. I loved getting that degree, and then I had we, uh, my ex and I had talked about possibly going overseas, he started getting nervous about, with a law degree, he felt like he needed to practice law in the United States. So he came home one day from the law school and said, there's a job posting for Alaska. What do you think about that? And I thought, okay, well, that sort of is quasi overseas in the terms of there's a there's a, a, a original culture there that would, that would be really fun for me to get to know in the meantime in the third year after finishing my master's i've done all my work for a, a phd so i thought you know alaska would be a great place to have a research topic for a dissertation so so i agreed that that great go for it go apply and he got a job with a law firm in anchorage so we moved to anchorage and that actually anchorage is where lissa and her brother were born so they were born when I lived in Alaska. So that public health degree um, then opened a wide array of possibilities. And it turned out that I, the more I thought about the, the PhD, I realized most people with PhDs at that time, we're talking mid-70s now, were in academic settings. And I thought, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the real world. And so I got a job with a um, health systems agency. They don't exist anymore, but basically they were responsible for looking at what are the healthcare needs in the, a portion of Alaska, and we were South Central. And we worked with uh, Native health corporations, and we worked with private health entities, and we had a board of directors. And I was responsible with a, another person to develop a plan for that that part of Alaska with the idea that if a hospital wanted to spend money, they needed to come to our board of directors to get approval before they would be allowed to spend a large amount of money. So it was fascinating because we got a really good picture of how the Alaska Native Health Service worked alongside the private entity. There were Teamsters because the Alaska Pipeline had built and built, and the Teamsters built a hospital in the area. So it was just fascinating. Great group of people, and it was a really nice way of getting to learn more about the state and getting to be able to do some travel outside of Anchorage into some of the native and original um, population areas.
0: And all of this while you had these kids at home? And uh, we're raising some kids. So I always love these stories about how it is that, you know, we, we often think of it as a newer idea, but it's not, right? People have been, you know, raising kids and being working moms and having powerful careers for a really long time. And one of the things that I wanna pick your brain on is you made a really exciting decision as far as I'm concerned. And it's one of the biggest reasons I'm excited, I'm giddy to talk to you. I was texting people this morning to say, hey, let me tell you who I'm talking to today. You decided, after all of that, to go back to Peace Corps in another role and to be a country director. So I'd love to know a little bit about how that happened, where you were in the stage of your life. I'm trying to do some math here and figure out about how old your kids might have been at that age. But just talk a little bit about how that all came to be, Peggy, if you would, because it's just such a great story.
1: Sure. Yeah. I left Alaska because my marriage had not worked out and I decided I needed to be able to support two kids on my own as a single mom. And so I decided to go back and get an MBA. So I went back to Stanford where I got my undergrad and that was one of the toughest things I did as a single parent, getting going through the MBA program at Stanford while they were small. Fortunately, there was a great school that my stepmom and half-sisters uh, were in nearby. And so the, kid, I, the kids were in a really good space during the day. Then I realized, though, that there's no way I could afford, as a single mom, to live in California. And so I was looking at, at job possibilities. And one of the professors at Stanford, Alan Enthoven, is a health economist. He felt really strongly that Kaiser Permanente was the Right way to deliver health a prepaid, comprehensive program. So he would put uh, job possibilities in my um, in my box, and his assistant would put them in my box. I, I actually interviewed for a job with Kaiser Permanente in California. Realized maybe I could live in a garage by the, the freeway or something. I, mean, I just there was no way. And this was in '85 is when I finished the MBA. But then I got a job offer with Kaiser Permanente in Portland, Oregon. So I had a wonderful career there and I had the kind of job where I started out working for the physician group and then I was assistant administrator in the hospital and then I got a job that uh, we were responsible for implementing the the clinical information system along with other responsibilities I had. And then um, I got promoted to be vice president and um, the president was someone whose values I didn't share and who was making decisions that that I felt uncomfortable supporting. And so I decided at that point, the man I, I was living with, we had bought a house together, is a writer working from home. And when I said enough, I need to do something else, he made me promise not to commit to anything for a year because I've been working ridiculously long hours. So I said fine, and we were going to go, we were going to go somewhere, and I was going to volunteer, and he was going to write. And then, as he tells a story, he says she went from managing five hundred people to managing one. And when I came to him and said a friend that I had traveled across Africa with said they're looking for country directors, what do you think? He's right there, it's like yeah, go for it instead of doing something else. And so. I applied, got the job with, as country director, and it was just perfect for us because he could write from anywhere, and I could do this bookend, as you point out, starting out as a volunteer and then becoming going back to the organization that I had felt taught me so much about myself and about the world. So I applied, and the way Peace Corps works it is you apply to be country director, but you don't apply to be a country director of a place, and they were—they were saying that yeah, there were t- there were ten. 10- openings for country director at the time that i applied and it was funny because in the process i was this ridiculously long application a very short time window and i was handing pieces of paper off to bill just to prove for me and he was going you did that you did that because i was working so ridiculously hard at kaiser permanente the last thing i ever wanted to do when i came home was to talk to him about it so he realized as he's reading this he says i can't see how they could not possibly ever hire you maybe there are nine other positions available you clearly have one of them but at any rate <laughs> when when they called me to tell me and i went through a whole series of interviews including uh, interviews in washington dc when they called to, uh, to tell me that i've been offered the position they didn't tell me where then when they called and said going to tell me where they were going to send me if i wanted to billy answered the phone and i was at the dentist so I, He couldn't, they wouldn't tell him. So the next morning, Peggy gets up at five o'clock in the morning to call at eight (laughs) o'clock Washington time. (laughs) Okay. And they said Botswana. And I wanted to go back to Africa. I really wanted to go back to that continent because it's a real love of mine, especially after having traveled and seen so much of it and done a lot of reading. And Botswana was just an amazing place to live. And we were there for four years. And then they called me and said, would you be willing to go to another country? And I said, well, Peace Corps contracts are for two and a half years. And I they'd already offered me a re- renewal. So I was in my second two and a half year contract. And I said, well, you know, I'm at four years. Would you really want me to go up there? And maybe I'd only have one more year. They didn't say anything. And I didn't say anything. Well, going to Morocco, maybe I won't like it. Maybe, you know, whatever. So I went ahead, and uh, we went. We they transferred us up to uh, Morocco, and then we were there for two and a half years, and it was awesome. I mean, to have another part of the continent, which is totally different from where I'd been a Peace Corps volunteer, where I'd traveled, where we lived in Southern Africa, and then Northern Africa, obviously, is so very different with the Arabic influence and Muslim Islam. And
0: now I know, of course, you know that I know what Peace Corps and, and being a country director is. Um, it's something that all you probably picked up on it. I thought about it myself. You know, it was kind of on my own bucket list of things I would like to do, maybe sometime soon, maybe down the road. I don't know. So I'm I'm fascinated that you a pulled it off and b got two tours out of it. And uh, I'm just while we're recording this, while we're kind of capturing things. For people that may not know you know maybe it's your grandkids someday or something like that how would you summarize the role of a peace corps country director you know what do they do what is the role i'm not intimately familiar with it but i'm quite familiar but i'm realizing we may be speaking in shorthand down the road so how would you describe that role peggy
1: it's being the coordinator and supporter of the staff who are almost exclusively local and there's usually one or two other Americans, one um, as the admin officer and management of operations and administration. And then there's the usually the director of programming and training is, is American. But then all the rest are from the local country. And sometimes it's being a listener to the staff who've been there much longer than you have. And the, the Americans are relatively new too. So it's It's um, being in a role of honoring the expertise and experience and knowledge of your staff while helping coordinate to move things forward and being the conduit for for headquarters to the post. Um, It's also being available to volunteers and a supporter of volunteers and making sure you hear what their issues are and work with staff to assess the best way to work with volunteers to address those those issues it's also um, while Peace Corps is not under the State Department it has an odd separate relationship to in the in the US government within the country in both situations the ambassador of the United States, has a country team meeting regularly that the country director of Peace Corps is invited to. So it's it's keeping the other Americans who attend that meeting, some are embassy staff, and some are other heads of other US entities that might be in that country around the table to to, um, share information that's relevant. And making sure that the ambassador is certainly apprised of what's going on in Peace Corps, but also including them in special events. So I'm the one who makes sure the ambassador is invited to the swearing-in ceremony for the volunteers and for um, when we do a thank you uh, toward the end. So having a close relationship with the U.S. ambassador was another key role for the country director.
0: So what did your family and and your kids think, right? Because I I was telling my son this morning, he's only 12, right? But I was talking to him this morning about interviewing you today, and I told him that it was something that he and his father have, and I've talked about a lot, about like going and And his first question was the one that you brought up, which was, Well, it depends on which country. And I'm like, Well, you don't know which country. You know, that's part of the thing. You don't know where you're gonna go. And he's like, Well, mommy, no, no, no. And and then I thought to myself, like, well, I I think I want this for myself. But then I started thinking about just the logistics, you know, in terms of what age would be the right age to go. Is it better to go while he's still in high school and 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 make him come with us then? Or is it better to wait till he goes to college and then do it? How old will I be then? Etc. So I'm just curious, you know, to go off and be another part of the world for several years, you know, to be in Africa. The job is one piece. I'm also mindful about, you know, as a human being, your connections and things. What did Lissa say? What did your kids say? Did they visit you? Where were they in their life at that point?
1: I have two children. We we got married just before we went, partly because we got married
0: because we wanted to get
1: married. But it would have been much more difficult for him to be there and live there if if, if he didn't have, uh, Yeah. So between us, we have four children and the three were already through college or just finishing or were in graduate school. So they were pretty much on their own. And then Bill's son, he was kind of deciding what he wanted to do is post high school, though. And um, so all were supportive and all four of them visited us in Botswana at different times. Three of them got married when we were in Botswana. So we also had, you know, we came back first for Bill's daughter's wedding. The next summer, it was my son's wedding. And then the next summer, it was Lisa and Luke's wedding. We were able to come back for all that. that. When, when we first got invited to Botswana, Bill said, you know, that's about the farthest place you can be from Portland, Oregon. If we dug a hole through the earth, <laughs> it might come be, out in Botswana. <laughs> so it would take a long, long flights to get back here for those three weddings and to be here with children and for them to come and visit us. But it was really nice to have all four of them. In fact, Wes, the youngest, Bill's son, lived with us for one of the summers. And One of the options that we had as working for U.S. entities was if we had children, there was a possibility that they could get some sort of an internship in the summer. So Wesley actually came and worked for the embassy in a, it was a part-time role that was a great experience for him, just to see, is that something I'd like to pursue in the future? Would I want to work for the State Department? So it was a great experience for him.
0: So then when you finish a Peace Corps, you retired and you're still very youthful and very young and you have many, many decades ahead of you. So I'm curious, what are some of the things at this point in your life, Peggy, that you're looking forward to next? What are some of the things you're doing? You know, a theme that I'm really curious about is this idea of longevity. Obviously, you built a great foundation, but you got a lot of years left. And so I'm looking for tips or hacks or ideas of things that you're doing around the area of vitality and just... um continuing to grow and, and be this person that goes after all these things that they want. So what are you looking forward to next?
1: Well, some of the things I'm doing now, and, and I, I, um, I've, I belong to four different book groups. So that means I read a lot. And, and that's really important to me. It's a way, and the, the book groups I'm in tend to, one, one of them, by the way, is made up of uh, Peace Corps volunteers, Returned Peace Corps volunteers. So we, we, we tend to read books either that were written by Peace Corps volunteers initially it was about countries that Peace Corps has been in, which is most many of the countries in the world. So that's one of them. And then one I joined because it was in the neighborhood and because we'd been gone for six and a half years in in Peace Corps, moving back to the same house, which we rented out, um, getting to know more people in this neighborhood. And then ones I've been in forever was in my old neighborhood. And then um, the fourth one is... People I worked with at Kaiser Permanente and some other people who worked in healthcare, and it's it's fun because there's um, there's so many wonderful books out there to read, and the groups vary in the the, the ty- kinds of things they're interested in, and it's a mix of fiction, nonfiction, that's exposed me to things that I might not otherwise have thought about reading. So that's one thing, and I I feel really strongly about staying fit and uh, to be healthy. So that's a commitment. So I'm like four or five times a week that I go to a, a community center where there's there's group exercise. I do better if I'm exercising with other people. And then Bill and I like to travel. So we have done, in fact, the, the trip that we now are planning is to go to Sudan in probably November. So I like to have some flexibility about that. But the most important thing is grandchildren. Between us, we have seven. And we're very amazed but all three families have moved closer to us and all three families with the seven grandchildren across them are within walking distance so we've done something right that they that they're willing to be that close to us but um, the the grandchildren range in age from nine into four the youngest just turned four in um, earlier this month this is youngest actually and it's just really important to me to be flexible so that I can be on call for anything that I can help with, with grandchildren. So while I don't have a regular schedule, when there there's a need, I'll be there to help in whatever way I can. And finally, the, the other thing that we spend a lot of time on now is we have a half acre and Bill has planted berries and fruit trees. And, and so there's a huge amount of work just in the yard. So... There's still a part of me, and it's a great question, Monica, because there's more I'd like to do. There's a a Peace Corps program to help refugee families, and so getting involved in that. Or there's um, another uh, Peace Corps volunteer friend returned Peace Corps volunteer friend does some tutoring with refugee families so that some of those are possibilities and then you know volunteering at the food bank is is one of the things I, I appreciate and do when I can and the other thing I've done is tried to take piano back up I had learned piano from one of my grandmothers my older sister and I especially and I had also played flute my dad played flute but I tried to take piano lessons and um, I ended up uh, doing, doing that for a while. And that's really fun to just sit down and play. We've got a, just an old upright piano. So that's really fun to, to bring that skill back.
0: You know, time is flying, but I've got two last questions for you. One is selfish for me and then one is for, for your fabulous family. Selfishly. Any other advice? You know, so I'm 53. I'm in a big transition. I had a great career, and I've very fortunate. I've been able to sell my stake in the company, and now I'm trying to take some time to figure out what I want to do next. So, just anything that you think, especially in these years, these 50s, right? Which I think I don't come, They're not lost years. They're exciting years. It's just that I'm mindful that I still got some time to kind of set some direction. So, curious about anything you did in that era that you think really set you up. And then I have one more question for you after that. So any advice about things you did in your 50s?
1: Well, Monica, I, I think you, from everything I know about you, would be a really good country director of the Peace Corps. And I think you'd really enjoy it. I think the experience that volunteers are having in this day and age is very different from my experience. When we didn't have Internet, we didn't have, you know, to be able to call home would be have been ridiculous. I mean, there's, there's no easy way to do anything like that. And so, so it's a very different experience today, but it would also, something that with your son, there'd be an international school that he could go to, which would mean there would probably be a, it would be a great experience for him for a couple of years just to experience living overseas. Now, whether a 12 year old really wants to do that or wants to stay where his friends are, the, the advantage of today's Era is he can still stay in touch with his friends. He could still WhatsApp and you know FaceTime and do whatever and still be in touch while he's having this adventure. So so that would be one thing I'd I'd seriously consider. If if for whatever reason it doesn't work out, um, then maybe when he's in college and go for it and just kind of think about you know how would that how would that work for your family to have that experience overseas. If, if it's when he's in college, he could still come and visit and maybe do an internship in his summer or, you know, something like that. That would be the main thing I'd suggest.
0: Well, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to talk to you a lot more about that, Peggy. Don't you worry. But for now, my final question is, is there anything else, you know, this interview series I'm kind of calling stuff, mom, I forgot to tell you because um, I'm mindful as I kicked off, like, you know, my own mom died at 18 years ago. And as I think about like, Oh, she didn't tell me about this or that. She told me so many great things, right? But there's stuff that just, um, I never got to ask her, right? So I'm borrowing people like you today and I'm mindful, you know, your, your family's going to be listening. Is there anything that you haven't had a chance yet to tell, whether it be Lissa or your other kids, that you want them to know just as they think about, again, how to have a great, long, powerful, healthy, joyful, community-based life, right? Any any other tips or advice or, or words of wisdom for your own family?
1: I think that they are awesome. I mean, Melissa and Eric are, are obviously my children, I can say that about, and I, I I feel like my message to them is keep being who you are, your awesome parents, your awesome spouses, your commitment, both of them doing work that is, Eric is in energy efficiency consulting, and he got out of a more kind of retail oriented career that he was miserable in. And now he's doing something where he's really making a difference as is Lissa in her role at BCG. And, um, so my message is, you are doing such good work and good and being good people. Just keep it up. <laughs> you know, I I just think so highly of them. I couldn't possibly think of anything that they could do better, but thanks for asking. <laughs>
0: Oh, I love that. And I, I agree. I, I'm gonna have to meet Eric. But for Lisa, I totally agree. And I hope I know she's listening. And so when she hears that, I hope that makes her happy. So well, with that, you know, you and I will talk again. But for now, I just want to wrap up and say thank you again for being a part of this. And we are going to continue the conversation, you know, offline and um, maybe take some notes and things and and, and share some more information. Anybody that might be interested in Peace Corps and doesn't know what it is, we'll make sure that they have access to uh, learn more about it and also links to what country director roles are. And uh, for now, thank you so much, Peggy, for being here. And that wraps us up for today.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me. really enjoyed it.